Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with technology leaders and some of the most innovative minds in the industry to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they foresee for the future. No topic is off limits, so sit back, relax, and maybe take notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. John Rose didn't know he was destined for a life in technology. In fact, he literally flipped a coin to decide between going into law or pursuing engineering. Luckily for us, the coin landed on the engineering route. And today, John is the president and CTO of Dell Technologies. At Dell, John and his team are focusing on six different areas where they believe technology will shift and grow in the future. John joined us for a two-part episode of Future of Tech. And here in part one, John explained a couple of those areas, including the evolution of infrastructure as it relates to the cloud, as well as the future of bringing networks to the edge. Enjoy part one and be sure to tune back into part two. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs' R&D and technology center, paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. Thank you, John. Welcome. Great seeing you. See you too, and see actually. You know, normally we're face-to-face in a, in a building somewhere, but I guess the video video conferencing. You have a beautiful scenery behind you and everything is in place, yeah. <laughs> there we go, we're getting good at this. Yeah, good thing that technology allows us to be in other places as well, otherwise it will be too boring. Exactly. So it's great seeing you and having you in this uh, podcast and I'm, I'm thrilled, I have like gazillions of questions that I want to uh, speak with you about and, and topics that I would like to pick your brain. So maybe before we start, a few words about in today's environment, how do you see the... Um, Putting aside, for instance, the uh, corona and stuff, but how do you see today's market as we see it today? Is it an opportunity within the market? Is it like in the past several years? Is it changing rapidly? Or No, I, th- I think we've all been doing this for a long time. And there, there is one absolute constant about, let's call it opportunity. Entropy equals opportunity. Whenever there is, I don't want to say chaos, but change, there are opportunities. Now, unfortunately, you know, there's a corollary to that. People who don't want to change generally don't thrive in these high entropy environments. And, you know, up until the coronavirus, you could characterize the whole IT and communication industry as in a period of dramatic disruption and change. We had cloud going on, we have AI transformations happening, the data era is forming, the edges are becoming reality, the telco world is transforming into modern telco and 5G. And interestingly enough, that allowed for the emergence of new players, it created kind of a catalyst in the startup ecosystem. Uh, you know, we were generally in a, a both a high entropy and a high opportunity environment. Now we go into the coronavirus phase and the entropy goes up, but the challenge is it creates constraints on how you can move in this environment. You don't have full freedom of movement, not physically, but just in general. Obviously, people are much more tactical today than they were three months ago. They are dealing with technical debt that's distracting them from long-term plays. You know, we saw a huge uh, upswing of companies that hadn't really worked out what work from home really was. They might have had a work from home policy, but they didn't yeah. realize that 
98% of their employees were suddenly going to be working from home and they had to go into triage mode to build out their VDI infrastructure, to even get laptops to their employees that were capable of running the applications they needed. Even though the entropy level has gone up, we have now constraints on where you can play and who can play. You know, for instance, a, a small startup really will struggle to some extent right now in acquiring new customers because the conference environments are gone. And so they have to develop new ways to play and maybe the constraints are higher on them. The big players, probably a little better because we have large installed customer bases, we have global infrastructures, we have logistics capabilities, supply chains. But even us, you know, it's difficult to go have a face-to-face -face meeting with a customer. It's hard to acquire a new customer because there aren't the forums for it. So, you know, I think uh, to answer your question, we've been in a high entropy, high opportunity environment. It's got even higher in the entropy level and the opportunities went up, but there's a counterweight on them, which is the constraints of working in this environment that, interestingly enough, my prediction is whoever figures out how to work through those constraints for the next couple of years gets to take advantage of the higher entropy and the bigger opportunities. But that's a new condition that we typically didn't have over the last 10 years. Interesting. Now, maybe we'll go one step back and speak a bit about yourself. So how did you find yourself in the position you're in today? Yeah, yeah. I flipped a coin. You know, before I went to university, I was equally interested in history and English and, and the social sciences, but I also was decent at math and science. And, and when I went into university, I flipped a coin between law and engineering. Really? Yeah. It was like, I don't know. Both of them sound interesting. And I literally flipped a coin and it landed on engineering. I said, okay, well, I guess I'll go do that. So it's quite an interesting journey and, and you've been uh, to quite a lot of companies. I would like to uh, maybe to start our discussion about where are you taking Dell today? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Dell is a 90 plus billion dollar company. We're, we're probably the largest infrastructure technology company in the world. And so we cover a lot of surface area, but even if you're big, you got to have a future. And so my primary job actually is pairing us for those futures to pick where we need to go and then figure out the strategy to execute in them to expand the business. You know, we care about the current business a lot, but we know that the future includes more. So we actually have six major areas that Dell is focused on, and I, I lead most of the technology strategy work in these six areas, and, and they all represent expansion, you know, places where we think there will be more action in the future than there is today, and that there will be opportunities for both Dell and our customers. Uh, in no particular order, they include the evolution of cloud. Today, we're in the multi-cloud phase. There is clearly more coming in the cloud world. We'll have to deal with function as a service and new cute architectures and, you know, just the entire cloud ecosystem is far from done. It's, it's going to be a long journey. And so while we have a very strong presence there, we are constantly thinking about how do we expand and what's that future look like? The second is around uh, what we'll describe as edge. And in that sense of the cloud, you're seeing uh, VMware being as your uh, pivot into this domain or? Today, yeah, absolutely. VM, one of the things that we know is that the future of cloud is as a coherent system of infrastructures. It's not about a single infrastructure. That's the confusion people had. In the early days of cloud, it was, I built a cloud, and that is my answer. We know that that's not true because no single cloud, no matter how big they are, is in all the right places, doing all the right things in all the right ways. And so we've entered this era of multi-cloud, which says, hey, you know, actually, your real IT system should be a, you know, a cloud operating model. It should be elastic. It should be abstracted. It should be automated but it should be a collection of infrastructures that when they're brought together as a system, deliver the IT outcome. And VMware's play and the Dell Technologies cloud story, which is very, you know, very much dependent on VMware's execution around things like Tanzu and the cloud control planes, 
is all about saying, we don't build a public cloud. We build a lot of private clouds, but we know how to make them work together as a system. We know how to turn things like networking horizontal. You know, how can you have a consistent SDN experience between all of your clouds? We know how to do things like, you know, obviously virtual machines being delivered across multiple cloud topologies. And more recently, we've kind of taken on the Kubernetes ecosystem and said, hey, how would you like to do container management in a coherent way across your clouds, whether it's on Amazon or Azure or in a private environment? We do health management across them. We do telemetry management. But the vision that we set on was not to build yet another public cloud, but let's try to bring them all together into a system. If we look forward, what we know is the diversity of clouds will increase. There will be far more edge clouds than there are today. There will be telco clouds that don't really exist yet. There will probably not be a lot more giant public clouds, but there'll be a lot more dedicated environments and optimizations within them. So that control plane problem becomes even more pronounced. You know, without a orderly layer to basically make the system work as a system, this becomes not a multi-cloud world, but a multiple cloud world. And that's actually a bad thing. Multi-cloud good, multiple bad, because you want the users and developers to not see the complexity of infrastructure. They have to see the capacity and the capability of infrastructure, but their experience should be as if they're dealing with a homogenous environment, yet the reality is it's very heterogeneous. And so the trick is, how do you do that layer to turn a heterogeneous ecosystem of infrastructures into a homogeneous platform to run workloads, process data, and get to outcomes? So this was the first. The cloud was the first area you mentioned. Yeah, in no particular order. The second is, uh, we'll pick an easy one, uh, is edge. <laughs> um, We've always had IT out in the real world, but about 10 years ago, the industry made a decision to pull most of it out of the real world. I, I describe, you know, about 10 years ago, the public cloud started to form. We realized that running email on a server under somebody's desk in a branch office was a pretty dumb idea. And so we started to evacuate all of the IT presence out in the real world and centralize it. That's the era we've been in for about a decade. And about three years ago, though, we realized that First of all, we didn't fully evacuate. There were areas like SCADA networks and industrial environments that couldn't take the IT out. But then we realized that as all of the industries that exist in the real world started to become data dependent, this nasty little law of physics called the speed of light started to become relevant. That, you know, you can't process data over distance in real time beyond what physics allows you to do. And so we started to understand that if you want to have a factory that automates a supply chain and industrial process in real time using extremely large quantities of telemetry data and advanced AIs, you can't do that by backhauling all of that data petabytes across the internet and making a decision remotely and sending it back across the internet. And so that started to pivot us towards reconstituting IT at the edge. But what we didn't do is just shove IT back out there randomly. We did it for very specific reasons. We realized that the edges that were forming weren't standalone environments. They were the edge of the cloud environment. Yep. They were part of an end-to-end -end system. They were mostly put out there not to be a permanent place for data, but to be a transient place. They would be where real-time processing would happen, where data ingest and data caching and data management would happen. They would be where the ITOT boundary would exist, where we would translate into esoteric protocols like Zigbee and other things. And then finally, they were places where we could extend the cloud operating model and security envelope out back into the real world. And it turns out that the real world is now defined as smart cities, smart factories, smart hospitals, smart transportation networks, smart logistics, smart anything. You will need an edge. 
because you just simply can't do all the processing elsewhere. And we're just at the beginning, but for us, that's right in our swim lane. Every day we deploy real technology in the real world in hundreds of countries and millions of customers because, you know, that's what we do. It's hard to do if you've never done it before. More importantly, we understand that the kind of processing is really about processing data, processing transactions, and processing AIs. And we've been building those types of technologies in the private and public data centers for a long time also. And so we're actually pretty excited about the space, but we're also very early into it because most people have an aspiration to build a smart factory. They haven't actually built one yet. And so having an intelligent discussion about edge helps them understand that it's not just about the tool chain in the public cloud or their private data center's data. It's also about where you'll process the data and where to get the best outcome for these kind of in the real world, in real time behaviors. Clearly. But let me make your life a bit harder. Isn't, you know, the latest announcement by Amazon about Outpost and by Microsoft and, and the Googles, you know, the, the, the giants of the world, aren't they also targeting the same to an extent, the same solution? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody building a cloud architecture, anybody talking about a, a coherent multi-cloud system, meaning a, a system, a modern platform to run digital services on, has to include edge. Otherwise, they don't make any sense because you can't Clearly. play in all of these things without IT in the real world. So we absolutely yep. expect it to be extremely competitive and cooperative. What we realize is that the edge is not a dedicated edge. It's not an edge that runs one workload. It's the edge of the multi-cloud world. It's a layer in the cloud world. And just like you would never dream of building a cloud that only runs one application, you would never build an edge that only can do one thing or is tightly bound to only one workload. You might do that in day one. You might do it for a very specific purpose. But long term, you're really trying to extend your IT capability, which is your cloud capability, out to this edge in real world environment. And the reality of it is, is what really has to happen is the platform has to be able to support a diversity of workloads. One of the things that makes Dell interesting versus, let's say, Amazon, Microsoft, or Google, and we're all good companies, is we made a conscious decision to be an infrastructure platform. We aren't the upstream tool chains in most cases. We aren't vertical applications. We don't own in, you know, airplanes to fly freight around and compete with UPS and FedEx. We don't have a, you know, a market analytics team that basically or function that, you know, sells ads on the internet. The, the, you know, we have only one function, which is the infrastructure platform. And what we're finding in the edge discussion is while all those technologies you described are useful, what they really aren't is the actual edge infrastructure platform. They show up that way today, but what they really are is a workload at the edge, a way to extend the Amazon stuff to the edge in a way that makes the Amazon service work better. But that same customer is going to have to do the same thing for Azure, the same thing for Google, and the same thing for probably a hundred other types of applications and services that they're going to need to totally make that factory smart or that city intelligent. And so our play tends to be, let's build the platform that allows you to deliver code out to that environment, to process data out to that environment, to have a coherent management framework. And today, you know, honestly, if you can put it in a container or a VM, you can run it on our edge. That's not true for Outpost. Outpost, you can only run what Amazon gives you. Now, there is a future that I'd love to see happen where things like Outpost and whatever Google or Amazon or Microsoft are doing are containerized workloads that can run on a common infrastructure platform at the edge. That's a much more coherent flavor. And that, by the way, is exactly why we're winning in the data centers and public clouds. People buy the Dell Technologies cloud solution between public and private clouds 
because they actually want to use Microsoft, Google, Alibaba, and their private environment and be able to have a coherent layer to put their workloads wherever they need to be. The edge is no different than that, and our play tends to be that vehicle. Now, we're early days, so you know, in any early days of any technology cycle, people only build for one application because they want to test it. Yeah. And that means that, yeah, you can take Outpost, run it on some proprietary hardware, stick it at the edge, and that may give you an outcome that's useful. But as things progress, and we saw this in the private data centers and even the public cloud environments, what you really actually want is to not be constrained on which workloads you put there. You want a platform that an automated, agile, cloud-centric way can deliver whatever you need into that factory. So in that sense, you believe that the edge putting aside, for instance, the technology itself needs to be owned by the telcos, and by doing so, they will be able to play between the different cloud as opposed to the cloud vendors that are delivering the edge? Well, I think there's a difference between the network and the actual infrastructure. The funny thing about edge is it's not one thing. You know, we, we actually like to say you should, whenever you say the word edge, you should put an S after it. It's edges. There are going to be lots of different edges and layers to it. So to answer your question, clearly we think the telcos have a huge opportunity here. You know, have they fully exploited that opportunity yet? No. But in the 5G architectures, we have the mobile edge compute layer, which is extremely useful if you do it right. They also have a presence where they're likely to be the network demarcation out into the real world with SD-WAN and other types of services, even 5G services with network slicing. And so they clearly have a physical presence there that the public clouds do not. At the same time, we know that the telco edge tends to be bound to the telco network. And a lot of edges aren't actually running on a telco network at the edge. They are running on a private network or a local network of some flavor. And so there are other edges that are forming. We're seeing real estate companies buy up real estate capacity out in the real world so that they can actually put IT capacity, compute capacity in the real-time domain. For whom? For enterprises, okay. for automobile companies, for cities. You know, the reason you build an edge is because you have something to process in the real world in real time. <laughs> and the definition of real time varies, but generally speaking, let's say it's less than 30 milliseconds round trip to, you know, actually complete the processing transaction. In some cases, it's one millisecond or five milliseconds, but it's not 100 milliseconds. If you're dealing with many topologies going all the way back to a data center, you can't achieve that outcome. It's just either too costly or it's just not possible because of the physics. The reality is the telcos happen to live squarely in that real-time boundary. MPLS circuit or a, a 5G circuit is clearly at the one millisecond layer if it wants to be, but the topology says it's more efficient to maybe put that edge compute at the 10 millisecond boundary or the 30 millisecond boundary where you can aggregate it. So they have a huge opportunity. They're experimenting. They will be one of the choices. The real estate companies will be another where they will say, hey, I, I am actually not going to have data centers just in five big metropolitan areas. I'm going to buy up capacity and work with some of the hosting companies or even new entities that come into existence and place small quantities of IT out close to the users. That used to be called a central office or a branch office. And the reality of it is, is those things will be connected into the network so that, again, the real-time behavior, the time between ingest and processing will be 10 milliseconds because you can put the compute there. So maybe walk me through this example because I find it fascinating. You're saying real estate agencies will buy IT. How exactly an enterprise will learn about his capabilities? You know, are you going now to have ads in the paper saying, you know, buy your next edge from us? Yeah, we don't know yet because they look a lot like what happened with cell towers. If you remember the cell tower world, it used to be that the operators owned the cell towers. They don't do that anymore. There are companies that have bought up all the real estate 
Initially, all they did was buy the right-of-ways. Then they let cell towers build and they kind of managed the zoning. Then they realized, well, wait a minute, I, I don't need to just manage the zoning. I can actually provide the power systems, the UPSs, the connectivity. And then the operator can just come in and say, hey, I need space on your tower for this amount of electronics and connectivity. We expect that same play to be run on edge capacity, but it won't be run only by the telcos. It will be run by other players. The reason I mentioned real estate companies is we've just seen evidence of companies that own real estate now buying and repurposing real estate to build up footprint to be able to place small data centers and small chunks of IT out into strategic locations close to the real world. And now, will it play out exactly like cell towers? Maybe. Will they ultimately get absorbed up into and just be a footprint that some of the big hosting providers like the Equinexes of the world and others start to extend their footprint over? Will they be something that an enterprise goes in and it's like leasing office space, but you're leasing edge capacity and it's just, here's a rack of gear and you're no more than a hosting environment? Or will it be something more significant than that? Will there be new classes of cloud providers that only focus on the edge? You could imagine an infrastructure provider going and aggregating up a lot of physical locations in the world that are close to major cities or roads or manufacturing centers, connecting them into various network interfaces and offering them up by putting a software layer on top of it as the public cloud for the edge. You know, I made this prediction a while back that there is a huge difference between an edge cloud, an edge public cloud, and a traditional public cloud. Traditional public clouds form and what they gave you was essentially infinite access to compute and storage and IT capacity to run things that can run remote of where you are. The edge clouds that are forming are essentially capable of giving you almost infinite capacity of IT capacity to run things that are local to where you are. Yeah. And that is a very different paradigm. And one of the predictions I made of probably about two years ago about edge was as this forms, there's an innovation ecosystem that will follow it. Because imagine you're a developer today and you're saying, hey, I have this great idea about building some as a service offering that's gonna disrupt somebody, but the condition of it working is I have to be in the real-time domain for the user. Can't do that today. I can't go get the equivalent of a bunch of EC2 instances in an Amazon in the five millisecond boundary near people's houses. And there's actually a great example of this that's already kind of happened and it's fun to watch and that's the uh, Google Stadia project. You know, you've probably seen, this is their gaming engine. They want to go compete with Xboxes and Playstations and, and they've launched it. And the whole premise of it is, you know, if you take gaming functionality and you take the hardware out of the house and you put it into the infrastructure, but you have to do it in the real-time boundary. It has to be 30 or 50 milliseconds, otherwise gaming doesn't work. Yep. You get this really interesting economy of scale because the gaming consoles of the world largely run at about 1% utilization. They mostly just sit there idle. Yep. So you have this massive pool of hardware doing nothing. If you take all that hardware and aggregate it, and now you can run the aggregated hardware at 90% utilization, the economics look really interesting because the cost to run a game from a hardware perspective is now significantly less. Yeah. That's the theory they're working on. The condition for it to work is to have essentially access to largely infinite capacity in the real-time domain as a service. But I, I do think that will happen. And it's very disruptive when it happens because now you can disrupt the real-time world, not just the non-real-time world, which is what really cloud disrupted in the first place. for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Charlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.